When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. It's not that, Andrew. On the Red Apple Podcast Network, here's Andrew Giuliani. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Not That Andrew with Andrew Giuliani. Super Bowl 57 was an amazing classic game for the books. And we covered the economics of the Super Bowl in my first episode, but this game was so good that I felt like I had to go a little bit more into it. And considering this podcast will drop within 48 hours of the final bell going off in the game, I wanted to get a little bit more into the game, talk a little bit about some of the social wokeness, if you will, that I saw throughout the game, whether it be the ads or some of the pregame stuff, halftime, certainly, and then what this means for some of the legacy of the players in there. As we talked about, not that Andrew is not just going to be about politics. It's going to be a lot about sports, which we've already covered and we'll continue to cover throughout the year. We're going to talk about local politics. We're going to talk about national politics. We're going to talk about some very interesting entertainment pieces. We'll have some guests joining us here in the coming weeks, but we're starting this off solo with just you and me over the first couple of days. So 38-35, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I was picking against the Philadelphia Eagles all playoffs long because of my New York football giants. They are one of the most hated teams, not just by all New Yorkers, but by myself. I think I actually hate them more than I dislike the Boston Red Sox, probably because they've broken my heart more than the Boston Red Sox has. But certainly after the divisional round where the Eagles whipped the New York Giants and then beat the San Francisco 49ers literally into a pulp, they met their match with Patrick Mahomes. 24-14 throughout the first half. At the end of the first half, the Chiefs were down 10 points. Really, the Chiefs couldn't get anything going on offense except for that first drive. It seemed like they had shut down Kelsey. They had shut down their weapons and really were only in the game thanks to a Jalen Hurts fumble that was returned for a touchdown in the first half. But right out of the gate in the second half, Patrick Mahomes drives the Chiefs down, makes it a three-point football game, and the Chiefs' defense stood up big time, only allowing 11 points in the second half, giving the Chiefs the opportunity to come back and score on every single possession, leading to what was a controversial call in the last two minutes of the football game. If you guys didn't see it on third and eight, the 15-yard line with about a minute and 40 seconds to go, one timeout left for Philadelphia. Mahomes was being pressured by the Philly defense, as they had done so many times this year. Remember, they had 70 sacks, I think second in NFL history, only a couple sacks shy of setting the record. But he threw it into the end zone, and they called a very questionable holding call against James Bradbury, a former Giant. Now, I thought that was a bad call at first. I Greg Olson said that. If you listen to Sid and Friends in the Morning, Sid thinks it's a terrible call. But James Bradbury, the guy who held him, actually said it was the right call. So it's tough to argue with the guy. You have to say he is a tremendous sport for coming out there and saying that and taking the pressure off the referees. But 
I think he's admitting to probably something that he did. If he was really taking the pressure off him but felt like it was a bad call and was being a good sport, he probably would deflect the question. But the fact that he said it was a good call, it gave Kansas City the opportunity to basically kneel on the football. They actually ran the ball on first down, went to the one-yard line, and the running back had the awareness enough to sit on the one-yard line rather than going into the end zone or going out of bounds. And then... Mahomes knelt on it on second and third down. And so Harrison Butker, who had missed a kick earlier on, a 41-yarder, I actually was a kicker in high school, so certainly nowhere near that level. But I can tell you, as a kicker, you sit there on the sideline and you think about, okay, the next opportunity. So it wasn't a long kick. I think it was a 27-yarder, certainly within 30 yards. But Butker kicked it right through the uprights. And the Chiefs, with only one play left, there were six seconds left, you had Jalen Hurts, who ended up heaving it short of the end zone. I think he slipped as that was a theme throughout the game. And the Chiefs won their second Super Bowl in four years, their third overall. And now the conversations in the offseason will begin. Where does Andy Reid rank in the all-time coaches? Where does Patrick Mahomes rank in the all-time quarterbacks? I spoke with Sid and friends on Monday, and we had the conversation very early on in the show that I believe right now, Patrick Mahomes is a top 10 quarterback. If you were to retire today, he'd be a top 10 quarterback, and he certainly is on the path to be one of the greatest ever. With Tom Brady retiring, it is tough to argue against him as number one, but Mahomes has just an incredible knack for stepping up in these big games. You think about just how clutch he's been, and to do it with a revamped offense this time around, and not a great defense. You could say that Brady, certainly in his first three Super Bowls, had a far better defense, and really in most of his Super Bowls had a far better defense than maybe the Chiefs' defense was this time around. But either way, was an incredible football game. It was just a game that I love to watch. It was tough to see it end on that holding call like that, but one of the all-time classics. But a couple other things that happened throughout the football game early on that I wanted to point out. You know, I was watching, actually, the golf tournament early on, the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which is kind of a unique tournament because on the 16th hole, they set up this massive stadium 20,000 people, and they encourage you to be loud. You see beer get thrown on the green all the time, especially if there's a hole-in-one. There's a famous hole-in-one by Tiger Woods, which kind of put it on the map where all the beer ended up showering on him there. But it's really kind of very appropriate for Super Bowl weekend. Actually, the Super Bowl just a couple years ago, moved the game back a week because they added the 17th game. And because it lines up so well with the Super Bowl, they moved the Waste Management Phoenix Open back a week. But I'm watching the game and Jim Nance, who's certainly a good friend of Sid and Friends, certainly a good friend of the show, said one of the best lines that I had heard as he's teasing CBS and saying, I think it was an equalizer marathon. I've never even watched the equalizer. He said there's an equalizer marathon coming on. And he said in that beautiful Jim Nance voice, and where else would you rather be tonight than on CBS and watching the equalizer. Obviously, he knew what was going on on Fox with the Super Bowl. Jim Nance next year will be covering covering the Super Bowl with Tony Romo. This year, it was Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, who I thought did an incredible job and actually nailed those key moments, I thought, very well. He talked about that holding penalty, really shed light on that. I think he nailed it without knowing what Bradbury had said there. Now you can look back at it and say, well, Bradbury actually thought that he held him. But I thought that was a great back and forth between him and the designated official who was with Fox. I always forget the guy's name, Pereira. 
but he said that he thought it was a hold. So you had that great back and forth that I think so many people were thinking. Obviously, most Eagles fans, all Eagles fans, thought that that was an obvious bad call. But then also, he was right on it while the runner, the next play, was running, looked like into the end zone, said, he's got to get down, he's got to get down, and he did get down. So really good job, I thought, yesterday by Greg Olson. Who's going to be stepping in Greg Olson's place here coming up just in a year and a half because he's taken a gap year, but the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. Now, Sid and I have talked about this on the morning show. Lou Rafino has talked about this as well. I kind of side with Lou on this. I think Tom Brady, and for that fact, Derek Jeter, they're going to need a little bit of work in order to be great announcers. Now, look, both these guys are great. Derek Jeter, arguably the greatest shortstop of all time. Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback and probably the greatest football player of all time. I think the greatest football player of all time. Maybe Lawrence Taylor. I'm a giant fan, though. I'm a little little biased on that. But they're going to need a little work because, remember, every time that they've dealt with the media throughout their careers, they've really given as little as possible. And that's by design. Anytime Derek Jeter has gone out there and talked, and he said this, he said he wants to just repeat the boilerplate answers where... The New York media has nothing to run the story. The story gets killed basically time and time again. And we saw this with all the back and forth with A-Rod, which is ironic enough because yesterday in the pregame, I missed this yesterday, but in the pregame, I caught the review of it. In the pregame, Fox, Alex Rodriguez, welcomed Derek Jeter to the Fox team, the Fox baseball team, which is quite ironic because we know Derek Jeter welcomed A-Rod in 2003 and starting in 2004 to the New York Yankees. So they'll be reuniting on set. But what Sid, myself, and Lou talk about, not just on air, but behind the scenes, is how good these guys will be at their job. I have no doubt that they have the capabilities and they have the intelligence to be able to change their style. But in order for them to have sustained success behind the mic, They're going to have to change their style. They're going to have to become entertaining. And that's ultimately not something that they were designed to do, right? Tom Brady was coached by Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick did not want anybody to have locker room material. So Tom Brady, over the next year and a half, is going to have to figure out how he can actually get in-depth, how he can get a little more entertaining. He has the capacity to do that, but he's going to have to change. I've heard his podcast, not the best. I would much rather you listen to Not That Andrew. Far more entertaining from what all the reviews are saying, myself included. But that's certainly going to be very interesting as somebody who has a love for Derek Jeter. You know, I met my wife actually at Derek Jeter's last game. I'll always remember it, September 25th, 2014. I actually got her number because she took a video of Derek Jeter's hit getting that game-winning hit, and it was such a great video, and she was so cool that I figured, hey, I've got to get this girl's number. And sure enough, eight and a half years later, here we are with our beautiful baby daughter. So anyway, that's a little stroll down memory lane there. Certainly appropriate for Valentine's Day. And it reminds me, I better get some flowers. But back to the Super Bowl, you know, right as I turned over from CBS to Fox, they started playing Ragged Old Flag by Johnny Cash. And I thought it was a really wonderful piece, really good. You could see filmed in the Heartland, USA. I thought it really touched 
a lot of Americans from all different backgrounds. And it seemed like they wanted to make sure that they did that, but it seemed like it was really nice. And But in my mind, and I wrote a note down while they were doing this. Remember, this was in the pregame, so before 6 o'clock, probably 5.50, 5.55. I said, I loved it, but are they banking some, quote, social capital? Now, what I meant by that is it felt like they were doing something strong, good, patriotic, because we were going to have some stuff that was going to be divisive coming up. And sure enough, I couldn't have been any more accurate that time. I'm not always right, but that time I was right because right at the beginning of 6 o'clock, as they cut to Phoenix Stadium, they sang the what's known as the Black National Anthem, which is Raise Every Voice and Sing. Third year in a row that they've done this. Look, I think, frankly, it's just divisive. I love that they sang America the Beautiful. Obviously, Chris Stapleton did a great job with the national anthem. But to me, this is something that continues to divide our people. And and again, it's right out of critical theory, right out of Karl Marx's playbook, which continues to find ways to divide Americans on race, on gender, any way that they possibly can. And they're doing that, frankly. And what better place to do that? What better platform for the leftist illiberals, as I like to say, to do that, then the Super Bowl, when you have 115 plus million Americans watching, where you can't get away from it. So that was something that caught my mind pregame. And the other thing that was interesting, this was kind of a little back and forth. You saw kind of a little bit. I was surprised that they actually allowed the Kansas City chop as the Kansas City Chiefs were running on the field. That's something that I know that Kansas City's gotten some pushback on. We obviously saw that the Washington Redskins name was changed first to the Washington football team. Now they're the Washington Commanders because of that. We've seen it with the Cleveland Indians get changed to the Cleveland Guardians. I know there's been pressure on the Atlanta Braves, on the Kansas City Chiefs to change their name. But I think the Hunt family is standing strong on this. You wonder how long they'll stand strong. Hopefully it will be for a long time because from what I've seen from Native American communities and the polling, 90% of Native Americans are proud that our teams are named the Chiefs, are proud that our teams are named the Braves. I think we're proud of the Cleveland Indians. I think the one that didn't hit that 90% number and maybe even the majority were a little bit offended by were the Washington Redskins. But again, I think that's how you take the perspective on this. The thing that caught me during the national anthem, which I thought Chris Stapleton did a great job of it, was Nick Sirianni in tears. For those Giant fans, and I was young at the time, but I've went back and watched this game time and time again as a as a nut Giant fan that I am. By the way, my dad forced me to become a Giant fan. There was no getting around the house without being a Yankee and Giant fan. He said it very clearly. He said, hey, politically, you know, I'm more conservative. I'm probably going to push you, you know, Republican. But, you know, we've had divided arguments in our family about that. Raise me Catholic, but know my indiscretions. But the one thing he would have disowned me on if I was not a Yankee and a Giant fan. So Sirianni talked about the Whitney Houston National Anthem at the Giants Super Bowl. I believe it was Super Bowl 25 in Tampa. It was the 1991 Super Bowl when the Giants beat the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, the last second kick going wide right by Scott Norwood, and the incredible, incredible national anthem by Whitney Houston while U.S. was in the Persian Gulf, really hit the notes. And Sirianni would play it throughout the weeks of the year just to get him in that mode, to get him pumped up and to focused. And he said beforehand that 
he might tear up during the national anthem. And sure enough, he did. As somebody who was not rooting for the Eagles last night, I thought that was a poignant moment and something that was really, really amazing. You know, I thought the intros, the catwalk intros, pretty dumb last night, to be perfectly honest. I thought that it seemed out of place. It was like a combination of a concert and a show, like a, what do you call those things? Now I'm drawing a blank on the kind of show from Zoolander. What are those shows called? Anyway, it, it just seemed out of place for football, for a football thing. And, and to me, I don't know, it just, I put a note on it and I didn't really love it, but there was some stuff that was done yesterday. I didn't really love all of it. I thought it was funny that the Eagles fans, probably a little, not so classy, but I thought it was pretty funny that the Eagles fans booed Dak Prescott as he was announced as the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Walter Payton Man of the Year is given to the football player who has embodied being a great person on the football field and great player off the football field. I got that wrong. Great person off the football field and great player on the football field. And sure enough, in Philly style, as they booed Santa Claus, as they had a jail at the old Vets Stadium, underneath the old Vets Stadium in Philadelphia, Dak Prescott was booed as the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Another thing that caught my eye, and I think shows just how much Steve Cohen is going to pour into the New York Mets. As you know, I'm a diehard Yankee fan, but I also like Steve Cohen. And I want the Mets to have success. I really do. Maybe... If they start having success, I'll feel a little differently if I start hearing about it. But it shows me with all these commercials that was poured in to Mets season tickets and the fact that the Mets got on board with selling this, that Steve Cohen is going to be pouring more and more money into the New York Mets, as we've seen, and he's not going to accept anything but a winner. I think the Mets are going to be very successful over the next five to 10 years. That somewhat pains me as a Yankee fan to say that, but guess what? I would love, I would love, no matter how much the pressure is on the Yankees, I would love another Subway Series. I remember that in 2000. Those are five great games. As we know, the Yankees won in five games, but that series was a lot closer than a five-game victory, and it would be great for New York. It'd be great for baseball if that happened, and it would be great for some good fodder with Sid, as we know he's a diehard Met fan, and I am a massive pinstriped Yankee fan over here. So, you know, I, I... Also, going back to this, I thought the all-woman flyover, while nice, I thought it was another moment in the NFL where it's kind of like, you know, look, why isn't it just that we have our military out there doing that? Look, it was good. I'm happy that we were able to highlight it, but it just feels like a little bit overdone and overproduced. I guess you could say this is the Super Bowl and everything is overproduced in this moment, but felt a little bit overproduced, but either way, congratulations to having the first all-woman flyover for the Super Bowl. I thought the McDonald's commercial between that flyover and the opening kickoff, I thought that was very culturally appropriated, if you will. There were two men that actually were there as a couple talking during that McDonald's commercial. Felt like, again, that they were intimate. Again, the cultural appropriation, little if iffy. But I did think the Pat Tillman Scholars was a wonderful highlight, especially in Arizona. For those of you that don't remember, I think most of us remember, Pat Tillman was an all-pro player, a Pro Bowl player for the Arizona Cardinals. And after the terrorist attacks of September 11th, decided to retire from football to go into the armed services to serve his country and ultimately made 
the ultimate sacrifice for our country, giving up his tremendous talent, the millions of dollars in the NFL and going over to Iraq and Afghanistan and serving. They highlighted four scholars as the Super Bowl coin toss honorary captains. I thought that was wonderful. One of the commercials, and I'm a little bit all over the place between the commercials and the game over here, but I went in chronological order so that way we can really highlight this stuff. One of the commercials that got me excited yesterday was Michael Keaton back as Batman. Now, I'm not the biggest Marvel, DC United guy. I know we got some guys. I even call the DC United. That's a soccer team. It's the DC universe. But the fact that Michael Keaton was back got me pumped up because I remember those movies as a kid. So to see him come in, I thought that was one of the best early commercials. I thought the best late commercial was the commercial. I think it was a 2B commercial that had basically, it was like you stepped, you were on your remote because it looked like it was your Apple TV, I guess 2B TV coming up because immediately once it came up, I looked in and I was like, did I sit on the remote? Did my wife sit on the remote? Because it looked like we changed from the regular channel back to the smart TV. But that was like one of those gotcha commercials like they had about 10 years ago when it went to black for about five seconds, which was absolutely brilliant. But early in the game, Jalen Hurts drives the Eagles down. They convert on a fourth down for a quick touchdown. The Chiefs come right back in the first drive for a quick touchdown. Kelsey was a monster in that game. You could see after that first drive for the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles made the adjustment saying, we're not going to let Travis Kelsey beat us anymore. And it took till halftime for Kansas City to adjust to that adjustment, if you will, because I think Kelsey had three of his six catches in the first drive, including that touchdown, including that touchdown catch. But what when Kansas City realized that Philly was doubling and making sure that Kelsey was not going to beat him, Travis Kelsey, that is, because we know there were two Kelsey brothers, as we heard incessantly over the last couple of weeks, you could see that it was a conscious decision that Philly made. But Kansas City, kudos to them at halftime, realizing that and re- basically using Kelsey in many ways as a decoy for the rest of the game and a former giant. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. Kadarius Tony made two massive plays scoring the touchdown that put the Chiefs ahead and then the massive punt return down to the four-yard line, a 60-something yard punt return, which actually set them up. As a Giant fan, I've loved some of the moves that the Giants have made. That was a move that I questioned a little bit. I know there were some locker room issues, but you know, to give away a number 20 pick, a first pick, First round pick in the draft that had that kind of that much talent. I know he was injured, was tough for the Giants. I think the Giants wish they might have him back, looking at how he was able to produce in the biggest stage yesterday. But, you know, really the only thing that kept the Chiefs in the game was Hertz's fumble that tied the game up at 14 all. The Eagles really dominated that first half. And then at the end of the first half, Mahomes gets his ankle, that high ankle sprain that he suffered against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the divisional round, gets re-injured. And I mean, it looked like he looked like a deer who had just been 
clipped in the knee because he was really, really hobbling. You know, Fox said that it was an amazing tape job on Mahomes. I'm sure it was just more than a tape job. But knowing Mahomes, he was going to do everything he possibly could to stay in that football game. And my God, what a difference did that final drive in the first half look like than the rest of the second half? Because, I mean, he scrambled for some big ones, including on the final drive. But, I mean, he came out firing and looked 100% in that second half. But it was truly an amazing, amazing performance by Mahomes. Another great commercial in the first half was the Blue Moon commercial. I thought that was great. You had Coors Light and you had now oh Coors Light and Bud Light, I think it was, arguing. No, Coors Light and Miller Light. They were going back and forth. This is a Coors commercial. This is a Miller commercial. Coors commercial, Miller commercial. It caught my attention because obviously there are so many beer commercials. And what comes on at the very end? No, this is a Blue Moon commercial. I thought it was really clever and a good one there. You know, the other thing too, and I think this was the first commercial after the first half, Jennifer Coolidge, she plays... Famously, Stifler's mom in American Pie, in the American Pie movies, popularized the MILF term there. Made it very popular, was not even in the lexicon until those movies, and she was the original MILF. I'm certainly going off topic right here, but certainly was the original MILF. She's now had a resurgence. The, anybody who's seen The White Lotus, the first two seasons of The White Lotus, they're spectacular. I've watched them with my wife. They're really good, beautiful scenery. One takes place in Hawaii. The other one takes place in Sicily, and it's absolutely beautiful. And Coolidge does a good job in those shows, but there is this resurgence that Jennifer Coolidge is this amazing actress. And I have to tell you, she does a good job, but I don't think she's like she's this amazing actress, but everybody's fallen in love with Jennifer Coolidge these days. And I see her everywhere. And it's a little bit annoying. I got to tell you, it's the same thing with that Pete Davidson guy. He's all over the place everywhere. I think there was another commercial where John Hamm's in a refrigerator and says Pete Davidson's everywhere. And he's looking at him and he is everywhere. And they're a little bit annoying. I don't know. I just I don't find them to be as great as they are. Yeah, they're good. It's interesting. But it's I think they're a little bit overplayed, to be perfectly honest. That's it. You know. I was joking with Sid before the show earlier yesterday, and I think we got to it. We'll have to get to it again. There was a big commercial about The Farmer Wants a Wife. I guess it's a reality TV show coming up on Fox. Seems like farmers who are looking to date and get married. You know, Sid's a big housewives of New York, New Jersey, Atlanta, Connecticut, wherever the housewives are. He loves that stuff. I just can't get through that stuff. I really can't. I've met a couple of the housewives or whatever, but... He loves that stuff. So I had a new reality show for Sid, Farmer Wants a Wife. So listen to Sid because you'll be able to hear his reviews of Farmer Wants a Wife. I certainly will be pushing him for that. You know, the other thing, and Terry Bradshaw was not the first person to talk about this. I know Olsen and Kevin Burkhart spoke about this in the first half, but Terry Bradshaw really ripped into the NFL for painting the field and pointing out that Hurts changed his cleats between the first and the second quarter, going from a half inch to a three-quarter inch. Now, anybody who remembers the old, I believe it was the Ice Bowl, remembers that, and I could be wrong about that because it's not the Ice Bowl. The Ice Bowl was Chicago and Green Bay. But there was an old New York Giants football game back when the Giants were playing in Yankee Stadium. It was in the 50s, I believe it was, where the Giants, actually, the field was so frozen that the cleats weren't sticking. So what happened? They went up to my father's alma mater, 
Manhattan College and got basketball sneakers to play the second half in because it was better at the time than those cleats. And the Giants ended up winning that football game. I don't have to go back and look exactly what game that was, but it reminded me of the changing of the cleats. Kind of embarrassing for the NFL to have the slippage all over the place. And lucky that one of the big stars didn't blow out their knee or have a real problem because of that. But you think about this. They talked about growing this field out for eight months before the game, and it was cost the NFL $800,000, and they couldn't get it right? I mean, you'd think you would test, have a test case out there to make sure this is going to be good. This is the Super Bowl. You have 115 million Americans watching, over a billion people around the world. Fox showed in Brazil they were watching, all over the place, all over the world they're watching this. And you have NFL players slipping out there like it's a hockey game. It was crazy. I mean, to me, absolutely right. I think it was one of the stories of the game, sadly, but, you know, just one of these things the NFL has to do better than that. Halftime show, look, I'm not a Rihanna fan. I, I just, I'm not even really a big fan of the halftime show. Look, I think it's good the NFL does it. It gets a lot of people who would not normally watch the game involved in it. But, I mean, it was just disgusting. The immediate thing I thought about, and my daughter was asleep by halftime. She's only 14 months old. But it's supposed to be something where kids can tune in too. One of the very first songs Rihanna's talking about stripping and getting paid for stripping and making sure you pay their money. Backup dancers showing the bra. There was a point where she rubbed her private parts and smelled it. And I'm just like, this is, are we allowing this? Is the NFL, and look, I understand the First Amendment argument you want to make on this, but this is the NFL's opportunity to, to put their best foot forward. I don't think Rihanna doing that is their best foot forward. Look, there's a place to be entertained by that. And if people want to go to concerts to that, that's fine. But frankly, I don't want my daughter as she turns five, as she turns eight and 10 and 12 years old, looking at that as an idol, as somebody that they would look up to. I guess I'm starting to sound like my parents now or like an old man, but it really is true. That's something that was, I think, in many ways worse than what happened with the Janet Jackson nipple slip 20 years ago. I remember that. I remember seeing that in live time and thinking, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. But I think this was actually worse because it was so overt. It was just, it was, I just wouldn't want my kids to do that. But some second half notes that I took, because I tried to take some notes throughout the game. Mahomes' ankle looked fine coming right out. I had mentioned that before. I was wondering that I know they tried to say they really did a great tape job on this. I think Tom Rinaldi or Aaron Andrews said that on the field. I think it was more than just a tape job. I'm sure that he was pumped with a few things in that leg to not feel it. Let's hope there's no permanent damage. I'm hopeful there's not because this guy is one of the best of all time. Slippery field still that continued throughout the second half. So even though they tried at in between halftime to really get that field with some more traction, they weren't able to do it. And then just simple stuff like Mahomes is incredible, Andy Reid, Kadarius Toney, as we talked about earlier. So now the question is, where do Patrick Mahomes, where do Andy Reid rank in the all-time list? I know that we always do this stuff and we always talk about it, so I won't go on and on and on about it, but I'm fans of both of them. I've gotten to know Patrick Mahomes' mom a little bit over the last year or so. I met her in Kansas City last year. I was actually on the gubernatorial trail and went out to Kansas City for a small event out there and went to the first Chiefs playoff. They were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Ben's last game, Ben Roethlisberger's last game. And I got to know Randy Mahomes, and we've exchanged some emails, so I was pulling for her 
because of that. But I mean, I think right now you'd have to say if Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes retired today, he'd be a top 10 quarterback, maybe another year or two top five quarterback. And he's going to challenge the greats of all time. When you think about it, I always think this is a fascinating list, but Tom Brady, Montana, right at the top of it right there. Where does where does Patrick Mahomes rank in your ranking? There aren't too many people that have two Super Bowls. Obviously, MVP Eli Super Manning. What I mean by that is Eli Manning has two Super Bowls. Peyton Manning, two Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes joins that list. I love Eli. As much as I love Eli, I think right now, if Patrick Mahomes retired, Patrick Mahomes ranks higher than Eli Manning, even throughout an incredible career where he was consistent playing every game for the New York football giants, basically until his penultimate year. And Andy Reid, what a great story. This guy is a man who's gone through personal troubles. I know he's had a son that's lost his life and another one who was arrested. Somebody who seems like a good man from everything I've heard on the inside is a good man. It's just very sad that he's personally had to deal with this. But coach for 24, 25 years now between, I think, 14 years in Philadelphia, now 10 years in Kansas City. Came so close so many times in Philadelphia. I was rooting so hard against him so many of those times where they went to the NFC Championship and lost. Went again, went again. Finally, they got over the NFC Championship hunt, hump and beat Michael Vick in the NFC Championship, going to the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots in Jacksonville and losing a close game by a field goal in Jacksonville, and Andy Reid not getting back to the Super Bowl, losing his job with the Eagles after 14 years, and really a wonderful run, and then going to Kansas City and building this all back up. First building a contender, taking Alex Smith and taking him from somebody who in San Francisco, you could argue, was a draft bust, was probably a game manager, and making him a very successful quarterback, the winning most quarterback in the four or five years that he played, the third most winning quarterback in the four or five years he played for Kansas City, and then taking Patrick Mahomes with the 10th pick overall in the draft. I believe it was 2016, 2017. I could be wrong about that, but he's played six years. So we'll do the math on that. I guess that's 2017. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Andy Reid, again, probably in that top 15 coaches, you could argue in the top 10. I thought one of the announcers said something really interesting. Maybe it was Steve Young because Steve Young played under Andy Reid. Andy Reid, I believe, was a graduate assistant at BYU when Steve Young was the quarterback at BYU. And Steve Young, who's very smart, I think he, I believe, Steve Young actually has a JD, is a lawyer, said that Andy Reid, most coaches as they get older, get more and more set in their ways. Andy Reid seems almost less set in his ways and evolving each year. And it really is it really is true. You think about it, he used to have those early struggles with the Philadelphia Eagles in managing the clock, in running the football. Now he's become inarguably one of the greatest coaches of all time. You can argue top 10, you can argue top 20. I don't know about top five just yet, but a couple more years with Patrick Mahomes, you may be able to make that argument. And, you know, I think more than anything, this was a Super Bowl that so many Americans could enjoy together. I hope you were able to enjoy it with your family. I was able to, it was small this year for me. My father was actually down in Florida at the Trump Super Bowl party, as a matter of fact. So he was down there. I was with my wife and my daughter. My daughter watched for the first quarter or so, and we enjoyed just being together, as I hope you and your families did. Now I got to get back on my diet post-Super Bowl because I lost a couple pounds in early February, but I'm sure I gained a pound back or so yesterday with some wings and some adult beverages. But 
Until next week, when we will, I believe we'll have our first guest on next week. It'll either be Brian Morgenstern, somebody who was the deputy press secretary under President Donald J. Trump and was one of the deputy treasury secretaries to Steve Mnuchin, a very close friend of mine that I made in the administration, or Heather Powers McBride, who is a very close friend of mine and my family, who is the daughter of my father's very first chief of staff and deputy mayor and oldest friend and was my press secretary for the gubernatorial run. We will have one of the two of them on next week. We'll have many others to come up. So thank you very much for joining Not That Andrew. I'm Andrew Giuliani. We'll see you next week.